Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the February 2023 online Midwinter Home Education Conference. Welcome to the Build It and They Will Come workshop. This is uh, um, about how to create your own homeschool community from scratch. My name is Diana Housley, and just a little bit of an introduction to me. Um, I have five kids. Here are my five kids. Um, and this was several years ago. This was probably about the, the time that we were, uh, that I started my homeschooling community. I, my kids are now ages 10 to 17. That one with the little dog right there in her arms, she's now a 10-year-old. And that one, the boy there in the back with his tongue sticking out, he's now 17 and a half, getting ready to, well, he's, we're in the middle of college applications and uh, mission applications, and we're just coming full circle. Um, I feel like I've been on a continual uh, learning curve with homeschooling the whole time. Um, but anyways, I'm excited to share with you my experience of Starting a homeschool community when I moved to a new state and had, I knew absolutely nobody and was able to um, create a homeschooling community that uh, was really successful and um, very life-giving to me and to my children. So, um, and just as a, just to start out, uh, we will, I'll, I plan to have a Q&A um, at the end. Hopefully I have enough time now that we are starting a little bit late, but anyways, um, <clears throat> if you can just hold your questions till then, uh, I will um, try to make sure there's enough time to do a little Q&A at the end. Um, so my first experiences with community. Um, I did start homeschooling when my oldest was about five years old and we lived in Arizona at the time. We had plenty of LDS homeschoolers to associate with. We had um, regular weekly park days, monthly mom's nights, and it was just a really great thriving um, community uh, of homeschoolers that I was able to associate with. And when I was about nine years old, I felt like it was time for our family to be part of a little bit more academic homeschooling community. And so we joined a, a, an LDS homeschooling community that was just starting up. And I really loved and learned so many things from being a part of this community. And I'll just share a little bit of that with you because I was able to bring that forward to the community that I started later. Uh, some things that I admired was that they intentionally, uh, with the families that they invited or accepted to be a part of their community, wanted to have a multi-edge balance. So it wasn't really heavy with the really younger kids or the older kids. And um, the younger kids were able to look up to the older kids, older kids were able to take care of and, and um, kind of mentor the younger kids. And um, on a day-to-day -day basis, we had, um, we would start out our days with a community, with a devotional where we would all come together and then we split off into different classes. And one of the classes was a mom's class. And uh, the leader of this community felt very strongly that it was very important for the moms to be growing alongside of their kids and learning. And that was really instrumental in me being able to make uh, deeper relationships with the other homeschooling moms and just to feel a sense of support and, and connection. 
We also had a really fantastic youth class for ages 12 and up that helped that where they read books together and they worked on projects uh, or assignments at home. They would come and share them in presentations with uh, their peers. Also, everyone had a specific job. Nobody was part of this community without some sort of responsibility. They had all kinds of, of responsibilities, such as like a photographer or a website designer. A people could be in charge of special events or field trips. Um, they had someone uh, in charge of the yearbook. Oh, and then also people running day-to-day -day things uh, on our community day, such as devotionals or teaching classes. And they also had some really great um, special events, such as they had a, a couple's night where the parents, uh, both the, the homeschooling and the non-homeschooling parents, so that was typically the, the dads would join in. Uh, we also had a family camp out. We had a family summit with team building and other inspiring classes, family showcases at the end of each term where we could show the dads and grandparents and other inter interested parties what we had been learning in community, as well as an end of the year recognition night. And some things that I learned about this experience that it was real was that it was really important. I felt to be able to, to have the ability to connect informally with families outside of an actual official community day, such as playdates and park days, so that the kids can form friendships a little bit more organically. I also learned that being able to have uh, connection with other more seasoned moms at, uh, through the mom's classes or the mom's nights was really helpful to me in my growth as a homeschooling uh, parent. Also, I learned that uh, just having a community of other homeschooling parents to study ideas with and homeschooling philosophies with was really vital to my growth as well as my social connection. So here's just a um, for too far. Okay, so just a couple of pictures, the, the family showcase where kids were um, sharing what they had learned, our family count, uh, camp out, and then uh, just having a end of year uh, celebration. Um, it looks like my presentation is going forward without me. Okay. <laughs> All right, so then we moved. Uh, I like to call this my year zero when uh, my community was in the making. We moved to New Jersey. My husband finished his graduate program at Arizona State University and got a job in New Jersey and we moved. And I was a little nervous about this because I suspected and um, ended up being the case that there were no other LDS schoolers. That being able to associate with other LDS homeschoolers was what had been my experience in the past. And it's pretty concerned about that. Uh, when we moved, there was one other LDS homeschooling family in our ward and we connected really great. But then nine months later, they moved. So then I realized that I needed to get busy with figuring out how I was going to help my kids to have community. And this was a very new experience for me. So I joined some uh, local homeschooling Facebook um, groups and found some, was looking for communities to join. I did visit a secular community, but just didn't feel like it fit in with our values. And I, I really wanted my kids to associate with other 
homeschoolers who approached life from, from a more faith-based perspective. But they all required um, me to sign a statement of faith. And it wasn't, it didn't mesh entirely with, with my beliefs and they wouldn't let me write my own. So um, that I wasn't able to um, join. I was able to join this Christian moms, uh, homeschooling moms prayer group and uh, participate in that for several months. But then later they also wanted um, their members to sign a statement of faith. So I was uh, also wasn't able to continue to participate with that. I did join another co-op and it was a great community experience, but on our community days, they were approaching things from a different educational perspective or philosophy perspective. And it was very frustrating because then when we were at home, we were having to spend quite a bit of time preparing for the community day that didn't, and it took away from what we were trying to, um, the educational approach that we were using. So um, I don't know if anyone here can relate. I'm kind of assuming that if you're here um, at this workshop, probably you've had some similar experiences. So next, the next year, my oldest is now now age 11. This is 2016. This is year one. And I started praying very uh, diligently and sincerely, how am I going to find community? And the answer I got was that I was going to have to create what I wanted myself. And I did not want to hear that. I did not want to lead uh, or be in charge. I tend to have a little bit more introvert um, tendencies. And so that was not what I wanted to hear, but I decided based on that um, inspiration that I needed to go ahead and take the plunge and figure out how in the world I was going to tame this beast. So I started getting a clear vision of what it was that I wanted. I looked back on the past experiences that I had had or, or other homeschooling communities I was aware of and started writing down um, exactly what I liked and what I didn't like about what I had seen, the things that I wanted to have in community. And I started just uh, distilling that. Then through my connections that I was beginning to make on the local Facebook groups, I started hosting some park days and we started having them weekly. And there, through that, I was able to meet some families and our kids began to connect and form relationships. Once I had a couple of, of moms that I was connected with, I felt also, again, inspired that I needed to form a mom's book club. And so we kind of had two strands going at once. One was a classic novel that we were reading, and one was a educational parenting philosophy book that we were reading, um, either taking turns or simultaneously. And through, uh, because of that, or I should say, around that same time, I was on a big learning curve myself. Uh, I had been reintroduced to the Charlotte Mason um, educational philosophy and was starting to learn that. I was part of an, an, an online book study group there. And I was just had this very strong impression that, that because I was not going to be able to have a community that could have a, uh, a commonality of uh, faith-based or LDS-based or anything like that, that I needed to, that having a, an, a unifying educational approach could be um, the thing that I could use to help rally people around um, these ideas and be able to form a community. And that is actually what indeed did, did end up happening. And so about two thirds of the way through the year of this mom's boot club, I also felt very strongly impressed that I needed to switch gears a little bit and start hosting some information sessions on the Charlotte Mason philosophy. And so I, I 
talked with the, the moms that were in my book club. And I said, just, can we take a pause on this for maybe six weeks or so? And I just want to um, change over to some doing these information sessions and you can attend or not. And interestingly, every single one of the moms that was in my book club came to the information sessions as well as um, several other people as I, um, I advertise that on, on the various Facebook groups. Then year two, my oldest is now age 12, it's 2017. Again, lots of prayer. Um, we began through these um, information sessions that I had holded one of the things that we, that I had held, sorry. Uh, one of the topics that we addressed was nature study and it inspired many of the moms, they begin having a, a desire to do nature outings together with our children. And so we started doing just some informal nature outings together. And uh, I had visited a, a nature study club that was about an hour or so more away from my home, was really super impressed with how that was ran. Um, and so I modeled what I wanted to do after that. And we started hosting a more official nature study club that fall. I uh, used the summer to make plans and put together my thoughts on how I wanted to do that. And we started meeting twice a month in the fall and in the spring. And we, the families connected well enough that they wanted to continue having some times to get together when it was in the winter time. Uh, when it would be a little too cold to want to go and brave uh, nature with our nature journals. And so uh, we decided to get together for handicraft days and snow days over the winter time. During this year, we also continued this mother's book club. We continued reading some classic novels and we then introduced uh, or we started reading through the Charlotte Mason home education series as our educational philosophy strand there. And through this year, it we were I was able to really uh, identify the families that would be ideal for joining uh, what I was wanting to I was ultimately wanting to form the next year was our official community launch. Here's just some pictures of our nature study club. It was just a really lovely, beginning that we had and uh, just a great experience. Now we're in 2018. This is what I call year three and the year that really this community was born. My oldest is now age 13. Through that prior experience of, of having these nature study club and the mom's book uh, study, I was able to identify key people that could be part of my leadership team for um, beginning this community. And I invited them to, to join me. Some of them wanted to be part of the leadership team and others didn't, and that was fine. And together we then decided on a format and location. So we decided to go ahead and continue with our nature study club and our mother's book club. And then we added what we were calling truth, beauty, goodness days, as well as teen hangouts. Now our truth, beauty, goodness days were more of a co-op kind of a day. We included kids book clubs. The highlight of the day was our poetry tea time where kids would be at home preparing some recitations, either poetry or maybe sometimes a was um, a piece on, a, on an instrument or something that they wanted to play or share with the group. And we'd come together and the kids would take turns, whoever had something prepared. 
and we would share snacks together. So of course, you know, if you have food, then, then uh, kids are typically excited and happy. Um, we included also some active PE style games and then a sharing time where kids could share in uh, peer groups some, uh, some things that they had been studying on their own at home. Then we also created uh, some documents, I should say, I actually created them, um, an overview document that just gave prospective families an idea of what we were trying to create. Beginning Considerations was a document that let people know what the expectations would be so that they could be able to evaluate ahead of time what whether or not our community would be a good fit for them. Uh, also, I created a, a calendar with our dates and location and then a participation form. And then finally, we did end the year with a family showcase where we were able to share with the dads and grandparents and other interested parties the things that we had been working on. Here's just a couple pictures. Um, this is uh, our little house in the Prairie book club. The girls then wanted to get together and kind of have um, uh, a time where they were able to pretend and test out some of the things that they were uh, learning with uh, their little house book. And then over here on the uh, right side is my son um, doing a, a, a recitation. So now we're in year four, uh, where it's 2019 and my now age 14. I had a pretty established leadership team at this point where um, I was able to delegate some responsibilities. Someone was in charge of the book club. Someone was, in, was uh, overseeing the nature study club and someone was in, con in charge of more of the behind the scenes reminders and communications to keep us all on the same page. And we decided to have every member, um, even outside of the leadership team to have a responsibility. And we, at that time also settled in on a name for our community. We uh, called it the commonplace, which um, is a little bit of play on words on a Charlotte Mason concept of keeping a, uh, a commonplace book. And uh, it also went well together with the idea of coming together for community. And we just continued with a similar format and we added some field trips and other uh, special events. We had um, an opening social, a Christmas social, and, and uh, then of course ended it with our uh, family showcase as a celebration of learning. And it was just a really lovely experience. And then year five, 2020, you can probably imagine that things changed as they had to. So COVID hit and more than half of our members actually moved. And because of all of the challenges associated, we decided to discontinue uh, meeting together. And so at that point, the, the community was, was disbanded and um, we kind of all went our, our own ways, except for our mom's book study club did moved online um, and now it's still going. <laughs> we're now reading through Les Miserables together. We're, we're in four different states, but we still have that connection. And then this past year, one of the members who still is in New Jersey approached me and said that she was interested in uh, starting up Nature Study Club again. And um, I told her I'd love to, I just am in a different place right now that I wasn't able to lead it. And so she said, fine, I'll lead it. So anyways, we still have this Nature Study Club and um, my kids are involved now, another community that I'm not leading, but um, I've been able to see pretty much from beginning for a, a full life, life cycle of a community. So 
Here's just some pictures um, of the teen hangout days that we had um, with them playing games, a family social where you can see the dads there, and then um, some field trips. We were able to go to the beach. Some things that I learned. This was really important, critically important for my community to have something to unify us. And for that, it was this educational philosophy that we were trying to learn and implement in our homes um, and learn together about. And being able to have similar values, there were people sometimes who wanted to join that didn't really mesh with our values and it was it caused a little bit of challenge. And so that was a little tricky to be able to handle. And I just feel like um, in my second year that we were um, advertising, I I was able to have this beginning considerations document that was able to help people be able to evaluate ahead of time whether or not our community really fit with what their values were and what they wanted to see in community. One thing I, I learned from my experiences of community was that location is important. Posting in your home, own home can be really challenging, not only because of the uh, regular setup and cleanup, just the time involved, but also um, it can happen um, and that can be really challenging. And so I learned that it's better probably to rotate homes if possible, if you're going to be meeting in homes or to consider meeting outdoors or in a local Christian church. Uh, there's many Christian churches that are very willing to allow you to use their space during the week. Also, I learned that um, asking something of your members is, is important because it helps weed out those who are lukewarm and not really that interested. And so that could be in the form of dues that people pay or just duties that you're asking them to, to fulfill. Also, we learned that um, different people have different perspectives regarding kids and technology and that it's really important to decide ahead of time how you want to handle that, whether or not you want to have your um, co-op days to be um, a low screen or uh, a low tech or uh, screen free day, um, or if you just really don't care. And But it's important to get unified um, as a leadership team as to how you want to approach that, because some people have very, very different opinions on, on that. Also, we learned that youth need a critical mass. Uh, the families will follow wherever their youth feel connected. And so it's really important to be very proactive about uh, making sure, about looking forward and seeing, um, making sure that you're continually bringing in um, families that, that have youth or trying to attract them or to have activities that you offer that appeal to the youth so that there is a critical mass because if there isn't, then, then families are gonna start looking elsewhere uh, when they get to have their kids that um, are of that age. So and that's the end of my story. But what I've done is I have taken my experience and reverse engineered it. So I have done a lot of thinking about what it was that I was able to do that helped to form this community and make it successful. And I've worked backwards to um, make a step-by-step -step plan so that you can go ahead and take these ideas and uh, uh, 
adapt it to whatever works for you. Um, take or leave whatever I share. That's fine. But um, this is what this is nine steps that I feel like that anyone could use and implement to create a successful homeschooling community. So there is a handout associated with this presentation. And um, if you have access to that, you can look at that. If not, um, hopefully you can have access to that later. But um, it does go through these, these nine steps. We'll through them. So step one, this is where you're gathering ideas. You need to find a model to follow. And so where can you find a community follow? community model to follow. I did all of these. So I looked online for successful communities and just uh, got ideas from what they did. You can visit or join for a period of time some local local co-ops. They a lot of uh, communities will have an open house or visitation days or you can just ask if you can come and attend to uh, observe how they function or maybe just even ask if you can attend for a few weeks or maybe even a, a, a semester or so to be able to get a feel for, for what it's like. Or maybe you just do join, not necessarily say that you're thinking about um, only being there part-time, uh, not part-time, short-term. <laughs> and then take notes what you, from what you like and don't like and, and get really detailed on what you think works and what you would like to see in your own community. You may have personal experience from past co-ops and again write down what you what you liked and what you would do differently. I would also recommend interviewing co-op leaders and ask them how they structure their co-op, what they do, what advice they have, what pitfalls to avoid and so forth. Um, it's very helpful. It's very helpful to me as I was trying to figure out how in the world do I even approach something like this because it felt at the beginning very overwhelming. I didn't even know how or where to start. So step two, this is where you create your vision. You brainstorm ideas. So take those, all that information that you're gathering in step one and really get clear on what it is that you're wanting to create. What needs are you trying to fill? How do you envision your ideal community? Do you want it to feel more like a school or like an extended family? So for example, do you want to have your kids feel more like they're getting together with classmates or with cousins? Because that will alter the way that you may approach uh, doing certain activities um, that you uh, are doing together. And what types of activities do you want to have? Do you want to do a strictly an academic community? Do you want to do more enrichment subjects? Do you want to have book clubs, uh, socials? any fine arts or sport or handicraft, nature studies, Shakespeare, dancing, poetry, tea time. There's so many things that are um, possibilities there and you will not be able to do them all, but certainly brainstorm the ideas of what you think would be great to do in community. And then think about, is there an educational philosophy that you feel like would, um, that could unify your community? It certainly isn't necessary. It was very instrumental for my community, but I have been in other communities that didn't or have observed and been aware of other communities that this that's not what they organize their community around. But just consider that. Is there something that you would like um, to use? I used, of course, Charlotte Mason. Um, I have I'm aware of other ones that use uh, Thomas Jefferson education, also known as leadership education or classical education or unschooling and still others. Also think about how big do you want your community be, to be? 
uh, the number of families and the number of children, then what ages are you targeting? Do you want it to be to, to spread across all ages or do you want to focus in on uh, the youth? Do you want to focus in on the younger kids? Uh, that will be important for determining who, it, who uh, joins your community and where and how you advertise. Also, so consider how often do you want to meet and when and which seasons do you want to meet? Do you want to meet on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, maybe twice a month? And when it's uh, winter or summer, are there different types of activities you'd want to still have together? Or do you want to just uh, discontinue during that time and kind of uh, regroup and rest? Either way is fine. This is just what your vision is. Also, you need to consider where could you meet? What kind of locations are available to you? Uh, do you wanna consider indoor meeting indoors or outdoors or both? And, and do you wanna do the same things every time? Or do you wanna have different types of gatherings? Uh, I'm aware of some communities where they do an A week and a B week and they have different activities each time. Um, and do you want to have special seasonal gatherings where you would invite fathers and perhaps grandparents or other people to come and enjoy the community. A family camp out or an opening or closing social. All right, let's move on to step three. This is where, uh, this is the one that scares me the most. <laughs> As someone that has a little bit of intro introvert tendencies, networking is not my favorite thing, but this is where you're going to find your people. So Again, prayer, if you're seeing a theme here, prayer is, is critically important um, to just pray your people to you, um, pray you to, pray yourself to find the right people. And then you just need to be brave and take initiative, be courageous, and just put yourself out there and just invite, invite, invite. Not everybody's going to be interested, certainly, but it really only takes one. I do want to give you that encouragement. If you only have one other family that is interested, just start there. Um, you can start with just one family and it can be enriching for your children. And maybe that's all that you'll have, but hopefully uh, you can be able to uh, reach out to others and bring others in too, if, that, if you're wanting to have something a little bit bigger. So ideas for where to find your people. Of course, uh, joining whatever local homeschooling Facebook or other networking groups. When I first started, uh, it was Facebook wasn't very, uh, hadn't taken off a whole lot yet. And so it was on Yahoo groups. <laughs> um, you may want to consider attending some local homeschooling um, activities or to join a, a co-op for a time. And then look for local homeschooler, homeschooler meetups. And if there aren't any going on right then, create your own. This is what I had to do. Host park days. Those are a great, a fantastic way to meet other, other um, homeschoolers. You can also ask your local librarian. I didn't do this, but I have heard that this is a really good way to find out who the other homeschoolers are in your area. And then when you notice that either you or your kids connect with anyone at, in any of these activities, be uh, take the initiative and invite uh, to get together again for um, a play date or another park day or something. So pay attention to who your kids connect to and go find those parents. Or when you start feeling a connection with um, a homeschooling parent, then you want to get your kids to bond as well. Okay, step 4A. This I call it 4A because step 4B is done pretty much at the same time. 
this is where once you have found a couple of parents that you connect with, you want to form a support group that meets often. And it's important to figure out how often you want to meet and where you want to meet. Is, is this a weekly, bi-monthly, or monthly sort of thing? And then um, you could meet at your home or the library, or you could meet, um, you could rotate homes. I I personally just, we always met at my home to begin with. And then as people started getting more comfortable, then we could consider if someone else had the space that we could rotate. Not everybody is going to have space to host people, but some, some may. And then of course, advertise and invite Facebook, library, park days. And again, just pray your people to you, pray for the right people to join. There's more than one type of support group that you could form. Um, I've participated in all of these um, at different times in the past. Um, the, the Mother's Book Club was uh, the way that I got my community started with uh, having the two strands, one being um, classic novels. And uh, they could also be not necessarily classic novels. They could just be novels that your kids might be uh, reading the, or, or that you want them to read, uh, but you, maybe you haven't read yet. And uh then uh, you could have a, a parenting philosophy book that you wanted to read or, or educational philosophy book. You could uh, form a, a homeschooling parents prayer group. This is a great way to find other Christian or faith oriented homeschoolers. You could create a mother's renewal group. Um, if you look on my handout, um, I do reference the book called The Mother's Guide to Self-Renewal by Renee Trudeau. And this leads the readers through creating a mother's renewal group. I actually did this with a group of mothers in my ward in Arizona. It wasn't homeschooling mothers. It was just mothers in general. And it was just a real great way to talk about how to help us as mothers to not get burned out. And I think it totally applies in every way to homeschooling uh, parents. You could also create a girls club. Again, on my handout, I have listed the book called Girls Club. Cultivating Lasting Friendship in a Lonely World by Sally Clarkson. And uh, that's another uh, reference that you can use for forming um, a, a mom's or parent support group. Step 4B is where you get together with kids again at the same time as you're, you're doing your um, parent support group. So you want to arrange targeted meetings to help your children bond. When I say targeted, I mean with those particular families, uh, the children in your support group because this is where you're trying to get um, a critical mass of people to be able to then officially launch a community in the future. And some ideas of the meetups that you could have is, of course, park days, nature hikes are really great. Game days are, are very popular, especially for older kids. Um, maybe some handicraft days, teen hangouts, whatever works, you can figure out something that will create some um, targeted meetups meet with the various families. If your group is still smaller than you would desire, then, then you desire, you're going to need to continue um, advertising. So post the meetups on local Facebook group, library, and just keep praying. So the step four and a half is hosting information sessions. I call this step four and a half because I do feel like it's an optional step. It's only if you're wanting to unify your group around a particular educational philosophy. So if this is what you want to do, then choose a few key aspects of that philosophy and um, then you can host one or more sessions to introduce and discuss those topics. It could be just on Saturday. 
uh, where you go through the different sessions, or it could be like I did where I hosted six different topics on six consecutive weeks. Either way, I think could work just fine. And then um, you're gonna wanna, and as you've been doing along, invite and advertise. Your primary group to invite is your parent support group, but then you keep putting it out there on the local, local Facebook groups and um, the library. I do recommend considering perhaps doing mini immersions for a more hands-on experience if that lends itself well to what it is that you're introducing with that philosophy. For me, for example, for if anyone is interested in doing this idea with the Charlotte Mason philosophy of education, I let it, uh, I have listed here um, several different things that I uh, hosted information sessions on on where we actually then had hands-on experience with the parents. So we went out and we did some nature study. We, I brought in a piece of artwork. We did artist study and we listened to some music. And we did composer study. Um, I introduced the idea of narration and living books. I actually brought my children in, in and had them model what it's like to listen to somebody read something and then to narrate. And then uh, mother culture is another concept. And then um, doing a, a poetry tea time and modeling that is just a really fun way to introduce these concepts and um, see what people might be interested in. So step five, this is where you are going to select your leadership team. Hopefully by now you've been able to identify some key people that um, align with, with uh, your approach and you're then you want to share that with them with those few key parents and just ask them what are their desires and needs for community and discuss those possibilities with them you need to be willing to compromise and adjust your vision as needed because you're going to need help to get this off the ground and to run this and so you need to figure out what works for, for both, for, for everybody involved. Well, not necessarily everybody, but how can there be some compromises to make sure that it's fitting the needs of the different people that you really desire to have in this community? I'm going to find out who's interested. Some may not be interested. Some may not have the time um, to commit, and that's okay. But you want to find out who is interested in helping you uh, launch this idea of the community. Ask them what, or find out what the strengths are and ask them how they would see themselves contributing and then consider how you could work together and, and what role they might be play in, in um, helping this community get launched. Of course then, pray as always and invite two to four key people to be on your leadership team. Uh, you certainly could do it with just one, but I think um, two is ideal and I wouldn't do more than four. That just, I think, would get to be too many cooks in the kitchen. And then think about what your leadership needs are and divide up the work. Um, decide who's going to oversee what uh, so that uh, it's not all on you. All right. Step six, where this is the most um, in extensive step. This is where you're going to figure out all the logistics and create the documents that you need for your community. Some of this will feel a little redundant with step two, where you were brainstorming your ideal community, but this is now where you're doing, uh, you're figuring out the, the logistics of, of everything with your leadership team. And you're creating associated documents for how you're actually going to get this launched. So the first thing you need to consider is what will we do together? Um, again, I've listed out here many ideas of what you could do 
academics, enrichment subjects. Uh, when I say that, I mean things like artist and composer study and like singing and dancing and other things aren't that don't feel like are um, necessarily uh, requirements for educating your your child, but they just bring so much more joy and richness to um, their their upbringing. Um, you could do Shakespeare together. You could do um, singing, nature study, poetry tea time, like I had I mentioned earlier. Just distill what it is that you want to do and then make a daily schedule of what you're going to do on your co-op days. Again, you consider having an A week and a B week if um, there's just too many things that you want to do and you just don't want to cut anything out. Um, you could have, you could rotate. All right, the next thing is to figure out when you will meet, um, what days and how often, and then what seasons you want to break in the um, for winter or keep meeting. Um, and then decide what other kind of special events or other gatherings that aren't your regular co-op days that you may want to have. Um, the open and closing social park days, hikes, fellowship days are just kind of like fun hangout days where you're not doing, uh, you, you don't necessarily have a schedule that you're following. You're just trying to have time together where mostly the kids are playing and the parents are visiting. Um, mom's mom's nights, teen hangouts, field trips, uh, a family club, um, family showcase, couples nights. There's so many options. You probably wouldn't be able to do them all, but just consider what do you wanna do on this, on this very next um, upcoming year and then make a calendar for that year that has not only your regular co-op days, but whatever these other special events or gatherings are. The next thing is to consider where will you meet? This can be really tricky because if you don't have a place to meet, you're not gonna meet. Um, and so you can consider, like I said before, a Christian church. Um, you can consider rotating homes or doing it always in your home if you're willing to take that um, on yourself. Um, you could meet um, outdoors, always outdoors. I know of some groups, uh, like some four schools, entirely outdoors, or that could just be an alternating thing like we did we days and then we had other um, co-op days. You could meet at a library, maybe a community center or garden. Um, sometimes there are nature centers that have uh, like an, an education room that you could you could use. And if you're going to be using a facility, of course, there may be a cost involved and there may be insurance involved. So there's just questions to explore. Then you want to consider who do you want to invite to join. Certainly you want to consider inviting the, the people that have all along been part of your um, parent support group and um, the other meetups that you've been joining, you've, you've hosted. But, uh, you want to determine how many families and children would be ideal um, for your community and what age you're targeting. Targeting. Consider also whether or not you want to have your community open or closed to new families after you started. And there's pros and cons of both. And then create just a simple application for interested families to fill out. <clears throat> Another thing to figure out with your leadership team is what are the expectations of being part of your community? What time or volunteer commitment do you want to require from your members? Are, is there any money that um, is going to be expected as far as dues or fees? Is there a particular faith or worldview that you are um, wanting to have 
be part of your um, community's approach. Um, same with an educational philosophy. Again, these things are not necessary, but just things to discuss with your leadership team and get clear on how you want to form your community. Also, uh, what kind of behaviors are not okay um, in your um, community and then also just get clear on what the policy is going to be regarding on your uh, co-op days and then use that to create a beginning considerations document for prospective parents to evaluate and see is there if your community is a good fit ahead of time and then for those that you're going to invite to participate based on the applications that they've filled out you create a commitment form or a participation form, however you, however you want to word that for those who are actually going to join. And then the last part of the um, mapping out your community is to figure out what help you actually need from the members beyond the leadership team. So just th just brainstorm with your team. Um, what help do you need, think you're going to need on community days, behind the scenes, or for special events? And then just make a list of duties, both things that would be ongoing, um, so associated with your um, your case, or short-term one-off type of um, duties. And then decide what your volunteer requirement is going to be. I like to call it family service because I just that's a lot nicer than duties or volunteer requirement. Um, and I would just recommend considering perhaps uh, requiring uh, every person to have an ongoing um, duty to fill that's part of your co-op days, as well as a, a short-term or behind-the-scenes sort of a, of a duty to fill. Then make a family service chart. This is primarily for your leadership team to figure out um, who's going to be doing what, because then you're also going to create a family service, or I recommend you create a family service sign-up form. You could use something like Sign Up Genius so that people can have a place to um, see what's available and to sign up. And I would also recommend in that form, just have a, a free um, a free form place where people can just type in what skills or talents they may off they have that they can offer, things that you may not have even been aware of that could really be a benefit to your community. You wanna be able to have people be able to write those in. And then for whatever family service um, duties are not filled, you're gonna need to extend invocations to, to serve if some of them aren't filled or, or considers a leadership team, maybe some of them are not critical um, duties and maybe you can do without them. And then figure out how are you going to communicate? Are you gonna use email, uh, group text, WhatsApp, group me, Facebook? Uh, you could even consider Mighty Networks. There's a, I love Mighty Networks, but there is a fee to create a group there. Um, of course, that can be then incorporated into your dues that you collect from members. That's what you're wanting to do. And then brainstorm a community name. Um, I would not get hung up on the community name. It can be really hard to uh, come up with a community name. You could just do something similar, uh, simple at the very beginning that just identify your geographic location. And then maybe if you have a um, particular uh, educational philosophy that you're going to uh, use, then that can help people know as they're searching, think about like keywords that people might put into Facebook to search for homeschooling groups. Um, maybe that would work. So our, for example, our initial name was New Jersey Skylands, Charlotte Mason community. And that's what we used the first year. And it was kind of a mouthful. So the next year we, we created a, a more simple name and called it the commonplace. And that works for us. So, um, Step seven uh, is where you promote your community. 
Um, again, this is uh, kind of what you've been doing all along, but you want to post it on um, the local Facebook groups. Consider the library. It's a resource. Um, and then consider hosting an open house uh, so that people see what it is that your community um, is up to. And if your community is already running and you're promoting your community um, later, like I, I recommend each spring to have an open house visitation days so that people can come and just observe community in action. But when you're first being started, you may want to just host an information session or an open house. You could host a park day and have this um, information session while kids play. And to attract older kids, you may want to have a teen hangout time during your open house so that uh, people can, so the kids can be getting to know each other while the parents are checking out the community. And then have an opening social and invite prospective families to come, even if they haven't decided to commit to the community yet. And then um, you could also consider allowing those prospective families to attend the first couple of times to just test out your community before committing. I'm going to try and uh, go through these last steps so we can have a, a few minutes for um, Q&A. Um, these are documents that I would recommend sharing with your prospective families. Um, the OU beginning considerations and applications, maybe the schedule and calendar if you're okay with having people know when and where you're meeting, um, or you can reserve that until somebody joins, uh, just depending on how you want to approach that. And then when they join, share and collect the other documents. So that's the participation form. You could consider a medical or photo release form. I never did that, but I've been in communities that have done that, and I think it's probably wise. And then the family service sign-up may be collecting dues, and then make their um, have them sign up for a family service, make assignments, and then add them to their your then you just got to start. It's hard sometimes. You just got to jump in and work out the kinks as you go. It is not going to be perfect. You will learn from your experience and mistakes, but that will make you better. And you just adjust as needed. Um, you do need to just kind of be thinking about how do you want to handle discord, disagreement, this difficult behaviors and personalities. Um, it's often. And so just think ahead of how you want to handle those situations. And then last step is where you get feedback and think. I recommend at the end of each term or maybe minimally at the end of every year, get feedback from your community members. This is not only going to improve your community, but it helps to retain members. It gives everyone a voice, helps them to feel more committed to the community because um, they were actually able to voice their thoughts and opinions. Um, so create a feedback or evaluation form that you can use. Um, some considerations about um, look, thinking forward, and that is, do you have a plan for older kids and teens? If your kids, your own personal kids and your own family aren't that old yet, imagine them just a little bit older and think about, do you want to, do you want to still have this community at that time? And if so, then what am I going to do to try and attract other families so that my kids and their kids want to participate? Consider how to avoid burnout. Um, how this is a real thing. <laughs> and then just how big do you want to be? Do you want a limited size or do you want to continue to grow? And then maybe just in the back of your mind, consider if you want to, if you need or want to have a plan for eventual transfer of leadership, because you never know if uh, people are going to move, if you're going to move, a uh, global pandemic's going to hit or um, just things like that, because all those things happen to me. <laughs> All right, so this is just the, the steps 
one through nine, just as a, a snapshot. And um, I'm going to open it up now. We, we have a, a few minutes for um, Q&A. And uh, yeah, um, let's see. So one question was, well, I think you already kind of answered the one she was wondering about, um, you know, what kind of about more about the co-op that you have run. Um, that's when we were trying to figure out the, the slight issue. She's like, well, maybe she could talk about this instead. Um, were you able to host in your local LDS chapel? And is there a policy on using LDS buildings for co-ops? I did post the um, handbook information, but I don't know if you have other inside information that you want to share on that. Yeah, so um, I had heard when I was in Arizona um, that that was um, not something that was allowed. And um, I did ask uh, my bishop if we could, and initially he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. But then he got wind of, uh, there is something, and I'm not, that he was able to find, and he, he shared it with me, that um, that the LES buildings are not to be able to use for homes, be used for homeschooling groups. So we had to look elsewhere. So I would just, I, I really don't think that you, that you are supposed to. Um, you can certainly look into that you're on your own, but, um, I would strongly recommend looking at other Christian churches. And if your group is strictly LDS people don't even identify yourself as LDS, just say, you know, we're, we're, um, a Christian homeschooling group. Actually, I know of, of secular homeschooling groups that use, um, some Christian churches. So you don't even have to identify yourself with any sort of uh, religion. And you can just say, you know, Hey, we'd like to use this building. And is that available? Awesome. Okay. So um, is there a way to expedite the process? She's hoping to put pull something together between now and next school year. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would, I would uh, go ahead and start off. Um, if you're open to doing um, a nature study club, it's a really great way to People and you don't have to have, you don't have to deal with the facility issue. You can just go ahead and, and um, so or you don't even have to have a nature study club if you're not familiar with that. Just like have um, nature outings and park days and start um, talking with people there. And just who can um, find other families and, and do things a lot quicker. Yeah, I think probably finding the facility could be one of the more complicated things. I know our co-op that we do. It um, is our tricky our facility kind of kicked us out during COVID <laughs> um, and hasn't let us back in yet still because of COVID. And so they've had a really hard time struggling to find like other places to meet. So um, let's see, what if the kids are older? Her kids are in middle school and high school and she's afraid to start something that might fizzle out once the children are grown in a few years. Yes, that was one of my main considerations. Um, and so I was very, very intentional about that, um, trying to find other families that had um, kids that were that were a little bit older. Um, it is it is tricky. That's why I was saying, be really, really intense about having those um, like ting hangouts. You're going to want to try and um, that would be a way for Cassandra to get um, this expedited is to try and um find other families, you host it, host hangouts is at the library, um, um, or other, or just at your own home or whatever. And, uh, it that you are creating a homeschooling group for, um, teenagers. And so, um, 
Yeah, I would, I would be very, very intentional about that. And then identify those parents who also have those kids that are that age and start brainstorming, like, what do they need? What do you want to do together? Okay. And that brings to the next question too, is regarding advertising. She said, are there other places to advertise besides Facebook and the library? She really wants to avoid Facebook. <laughs> I am not a Facebook person at all. I don't even remember, honestly, the last time I've been on now, but for that time, for that period of time, when I was really trying to form my community, I had actually never created a Facebook profile before, but I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm finally going to have to do this. <laughs> and so, um, I just, I just did it for a short period of time. So, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I looked for other places too. Um, when I was in Arizona, they had a Yahoo group and that was, you know, before Facebook was really taking off. Mm -hmm. And so that had worked. I tried to look for that out here. I even started a Yahoo group, um, in New Jersey. It never did anything. It was only Facebook. That's just where, where people were. So, um, yeah, if anyone else has, has a recommendation on for that, um, if they've found uh, other ways to find people other than Facebook, I would totally welcome he hearing anything. Um, but yeah, I just, and then somebody, Cecilia says she only uses Facebook for ho homeschool communities. That's what I did. I, I never used Facebook for anything else. I've, I've, I've never even posted anything on my, on my personal page, except for one time when president Nelson said, go and post something. It was like right around Thanksgiving. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I, and I never went, go and use my, the, whatever it's called the newsfeed. Um, so yeah, I, I totally, I totally hear you about that. I'm not a Facebook fan. I just only used it for groups. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. We are past time, but I think you had a lot of really, really amazing um, information. So I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. I, right. I did want to just say, Sandra says piggybacking off of another existing group rather than oh, starting yeah. completely from scratch. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think that's great. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you can, right. Why reinvent the wheel? Right. That's what I always say. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Thank you. I did miss that question. <laughs> All right, everyone have a great day. We'll see you in um, other classes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.